This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to a Copa America final edition of the Planet Football Podcast. I am SI.com soccer editor Avi Creditor, joined in studio today by SI senior writer Grant Wall and SI.com's Brian Strauss. Gentlemen, it's great to have all of us in one room for a change. It's very cozy. This is this is nice. It's not just the four of us, though. Zlatan. There is, there is a Zlatan poster in here, but we're here to talk about the Copa America final uh, and the ensuing fallout, which has definitely overshadowed the game itself in a lot of ways. Chile, of course... Going back to back, beating Argentina in penalty kicks for a second straight summer, um, but the story, guys, is is messy. Uh, and and Grant, he he says in his post game comments, he's done, he's out. Yeah, which we weren't expecting. Nobody was expecting the post game. In some ways, was crazier than the game itself. Though the game itself was quite crazy. And, and before we go anywhere else, congratulations, Chile, on winning your second straight Copa America. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Very impressive performance by them to get better throughout the tournament. Uh, and look, in the end, I, I think they deserve to win. So uh, hats off to a Chile team that not many people thought would repeat. Um, but uh, as far as Lionel Messi's concerned, uh, the greatest player in the world today says he's done with the national team. And I think the question becomes, do you believe him? And... Maybe. Uh, I, I guess what I would say is if if I had to bet money on whether he will play in the 2018 World Cup, I would say I suspect he will. I think there will be a lot of forces that uh, exert their influence on Lionel Messi, uh, from Adidas to FIFA to his agent to whomever, to maybe his family, who knows. Um, and maybe my sense is, is that this is a sense of I want to be loved. And... Uh, and so him doing this is also, I think, a response to the turmoil in the Argentine Federation, which it sounds like, and he'd given indications of this in the days leading up to this game, is a lot worse behind the scenes for the players as far as lack of support than most people had even realized. And it is a disaster. I mean, this is a, a federation that's been taken over by FIFA this past week because uh, it can't get its act together, just corrupt for decades uh, they had a presidential election last December in which the vote tally was 38 to 38, even though there were 75 voters, <laughs> uh, which is the most Argentine thing ever. <laughs> and so you see all these things happening. Their president uh, was implicated in a corruption scandal this past week. He was no longer welcome at this event. So total turmoil at this point. And 
I think you will see Messi come back eventually and play for the national team. He's had moments in the past in 2011 after they were horrible in the Copa America at home um, when he basically said, I'm tired of how I'm treated by Argentine fans. I'm not playing for the national team anymore. And he came back. So um, here we are. We hope he comes back. He's 29. It's the height of his powers. It would be it would be such a shame if international soccer was was robbed of of the rest of his uh, his remaining good years. Um, Brian, I just want to get your thoughts on the the post game scene because this is all happening as you guys are are down in the press conference area, the mix zone area. You you've just taken in this insane game, this this high intensity pressure pack game where Messi, of course, misses his penalty kick, which is kind of the impetus for all of this, and just the 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 scenes of him on the bench crying and and just unconsolable um were were just staggering but but for you guys down in the in the bowels of this stadium i mean to to find this out at this moment what was that like yeah i took more notes i think during the shootout and, and before the trophy presentation than i did throughout the entire game just kind of following messi and his demeanor and 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 how long he sat by himself on the bench you know head and hands various you know sort of the Kama Sutra of pouting, you know, different different positions and, and and putting his head on, you know, putting his hands and head on the dugout and then on his knees. And, you know, he he had the whole thing. Um, no, it was it, covering international soccer is typically madness anyway, because there are no rules. And it's sort of Thunderdome down in the in the in the basement of the stadium where, you know, you're fighting with cameras and all, you know, obviously the foreign reporters operate under completely different sort of sets of rules than we do. It's kind of like roller derby. Um, and so we're in with the, with Pizzi, you know, for his sort of celebratory press conference, which is much less him talking about the game than it is Chilean reporters giving speeches about how much, you know, their win means to the country and, and, you know, giving their observations of the game, like ad nauseum, you know, it's funny, you'll, you'll hear a Chilean reporter, uh, you know, speak for two or three minutes. And then the, the answer to his quote unquote question will be 15 seconds. Um, and so you're sitting there sort of squirming and miserable kind of waiting to, to get your question in. And then as we exit out, right, it started sort of circulating. You know, I think you, I think you saw something on Twitter and, and 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 sent me a text like, hey, did Messi just quit? And you're like, what? Um, and so you start asking around. Obviously, the Argentine players, none of the none of the foreign players ever stop for the US reporters in the mix zone. They just they just walk on by. So you're starting to grab people you know and 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 try to get a sense, hey, what just happened? You know, who said what? Um, and, and, you know, one reporter came over and started talking with some of us, a woman who works for MLS and some, uh, Marissa Bell, uh, came over and, and started translating stuff that was popping up on Twitter from Teisa and some other places. And you start to piece together a few quotes and then you're sort of left to guess what he meant. Um, and so again, it's, it, we're almost trying to interview people who may have overheard it's become second, third and fourth hand, um, trying to get little, little snippets of information. It was really, really bizarre. Certainly have never been through anything like it before. Um, and then obviously, you know, you get upstairs and you've got to write something you never expected to write in your wildest dreams. Um, I agree with Grant. I mean, I think it's heat of the moment. Um, he, you know, like I said, you could see how miserable and, and, and devastated and crushed he was. Um, good for Copa America. I guess we know it mattered now, right? Um, bad for Copa America and that they drove the world's most famous player out of international <laughs> soccer. So, you know, Thumbs up and thumbs down for the organizers, uh, but yeah, I mean he'll he'll be back. He's 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 young. He 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 wants he'll want to play in a World Cup. I can understand why all the stuff Grant mentioned about the turmoil at AFA, not to mention just the flying and the trips and the, and the sort of just the 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 gauntlet that is playing international soccer when you live on one continent and represent another. 
Um, but he'll be back. I mean, there's no question. Keep in mind, too, that Barcelona's season faltered during a two-week period right after the international window this past spring. And that travel from Barcelona to South America to play in two World Cup qualifiers, which are really exhausting mentally and physically, those affairs, uh, that may have played... There may be a lot of factors, I think, involved in all this. But when Brian says, like, the travel is intense, you know, and Barcelona has... Half three, their team plays three, for... Yeah. And three major, major stars. The three biggest stars, Messi, Neymar, and Suarez, Plus all, have to, and yeah. all have to play in South America. It's not like they're flying two hours to a qualifier in, in Europe. So I think that's part of it. I, I think I should explain a little more, too, about what it's like post-game for, for media in that situation. So the second the game ends, we head down to the press conference. And... This is a, a, an event for, um, it's like a podium event where you generally just have the coach, uh, at least in this tournament, who answers questions from however many media are there, you know, 50, 100, 150, whatever. And you have a translator in your ear. Uh, Although it's, last night we had to wait for the entire medal and trophy ceremony. We, yeah. They yeah. wouldn't even let me on the elevator. I tried to run down and, and get ready. Yeah, but you got to see Pitbull. You act like that's a bad thing. <laughs> Well, they said, well, you have to wait till the ceremony's over. And I'm like, does Pitbull count as part of the ceremony? Or does the ceremony end when they lift the trophy? Or is Pitbull... And they were letting fans on the field, which I'd never seen before. It It was was absolute mayhem. It was dumb. (laughs) Um, So at least if you go to the press conference, you know you'll get some quotes from the coach, coaches of both teams. Um, Now, after the press conferences are done or sometimes during, uh, you go to an area called the Mixed Zone, which the public has no idea what the hell the Mixed Zone is. It's this very sort of European-sounding term, I think, very officious, uh, where instead of doing interviews in locker rooms post-game, like in most American sports, uh, you go to this area outside of the locker rooms between the locker room and the team bus. So the players have to pass through this uh, kind of cattle pen type Just in the situation. tunnel, in the stadium tunnel. Yeah, and there's a barrier, like a metal barrier, the length of the whole pathway between the media and the players. The players can stop and answer questions, or they cannot. It's up to them. Uh, if you're in the media, you can get some questions in, but it's very different from a locker room situation because everyone's standing. You can move through. If you're in a post-game locker room situation, the player's usually sitting, and they can't go anywhere. And so you're kind of forced to answer questions. Um, and, and it becomes a, a, a hilarious scene, I think, if you're like some outside observer, because I've seen fights between media and the mix zone where you know guys are elbowing each other for space. It really is the Wild West. Anything goes. But like Brian said, the players, if they do stop and talk, tend to talk to familiar faces. And so if the U.S. isn't playing, it's a little tougher to get uh, players to stop and talk to, to you American journalists. It's great and, exercise holding like a, like what, what, you know, there'll be a cluster of us and the player will stop. You know, it's like when you stand on the subway platform and you hope the door stops in front of you. This is how the mix zone works, right? So if a player stops, you know, five yards to your left or right, you're screwed. You know, because your arm isn't long enough. And so what we often do is we hand our recorder. We're, we're too far to get a question in. Because there's a cluster of 20 people, um, and for those of us who are more diminutive, you know, you've just got no shot. So you start handing your tape recorder to like taller people so they can 
lift the recorder up over the throng and down, and maybe you'll catch some sound. Um, yeah, it's, it's no, faintly it's, ridiculous, yeah. and you know, there's no translation help like you get in the press conferences in the mix zone. So, you know, if I speak some Spanish, and so that is helpful, but it's still a challenge. The whole thing is so. That's a long way of saying that the way we really found out, Brian and I, about what Messi had been saying was on Twitter and through other people, not from the like doing the interviews ourselves. Media, yeah, um, and so I had gone to Tata Martino's press conference, the coach for Argentina. I had not stick around for Chile because I was just writing on Argentina. So I had actually already gone back up to the press box to write my story. And I wrote a paragraph. And then I look at my Twitter and I'm like, oh, wait, here's Messi saying he's retiring. And then you just, it's all about trying to figure out who's a good source on Twitter that you can sort of trust. And once I started seeing that Argentine, really respected Argentine outlets like La Nacion, Cancha Llena, had these direct quotes from Messi, and then uh, Teise from Argentina actually posted the video of Messi saying these things, then you're like, huh, okay, you know? But with information like that, you also want to be careful yourself. You know, it's like when somebody dies on Twitter, I don't just immediately RT it. I want to see the New York Times or the Associated Press say it. You know what I'm saying? Because then you're just part of the problem spreading misinformation. But it was very clear that Messi was saying this. So. One of the things that, when, when before the mix zone, when I was talking to some of the communications people saying, look, you know, you know, Funes Mori, uh, you know, uh, Di Maria, you know, bring someone who speaks some English over to sort of the group of U.S. reporters who were there covering the game so we can get a player quote. And this was well before we ever imagined sort of the, the Messi drama. Um, and uh, one of the women who was doing communication said that Messi, said, you might even get Messi. Like he stopped and spoke for like 45 minutes the other night. He must have stopped seven or eight times in the mix zone. You know, talk to a bunch of reporters, move on a few feet, talk to some more reporters you know, kind of what kind of what Michael Bradley does after a U.S. game, where he'll sort of sit there and take it from everyone. So for a second, I thought, oh, maybe there, my God, there, maybe there's a shot we could get, we could get Messi, and obviously not. I mean, apparently he came at, he came right out of the locker room, spoke to that group of cameras for 30 seconds, said what we've all seen, he said, and was gone. And you know, walked down through the rest of the tunnel, didn't stop, didn't look at anyone. Direct just kind of back to Barcelona. Yeah, and and we've seen the quote from Aguero where he said he's never. He's never seen Messi like that. He's never seen a locker room like that before. So, again, clearly this title uh, mattered to them and uh, clearly devastated they didn't win it. It's really, it's the whole thing is crazy. I, like, we honestly saw the golden generation of Argentina just crumble before our eyes, and, and it looks like they're done. Everyone's retiring. It's not just Messi. And, you know, done, it, it done depends. Well, done in quotes for sure. And, and it remains to be seen what happens with the federation. But even. You know, even if three of these supposed retirements hold, I mean, Mascherano, if he's gone, he's a huge part of that team, and and he's out. He was great during this entire tournament. He was incredible, he was absolutely. Uh, Higuain, who, my God, I cannot believe he missed another <laughs> amazingly, not, I want to say easy, but a very do doable chance in a final. Uh, how much does the narrative change if he hits one of these three? I, I think that was the easy, <laughs> I think insane. that was the easiest of the three. I mean, he he, yeah. he was square up to goal. He had time to make a decision. Just go low. Um, I mean, he it was uh, the easiest of the three. And that's and where I, I take out that this thing with Argentina is now a mental thing in finals because throughout this tournament, how many great goals did we see Iguain score? I'm thinking of that one off the long pass from Messi that he. Iguain gets basically over his shoulder and one times in um, 
up in Foxborough, and and that kind of thing. You're just like, this guy is on fire. There's a reason he's starting ahead of Sergio Aguero. Had a great season, obviously, in Italy, set the Serie A goal-scoring record. Um, and Iguain, I think, is the most obvious candidate for the guy who has the biggest mental block in finals. But there's other ones, too, including Messi. You know, I mean, he was unstoppable this tournament. This team was unstoppable until the final. And you can't tell me that it's just because they played poor competition. They beat Chile in the first game of this tournament. And so it's the only way I can explain it is this is a mental block for the Argentine national team and the people who are part of it because they get to this moment and it's almost like they're scared to win. And that's the way they played. And, um, you know, I mean, for Messi to be the one to, to put the ball over the bar to start off the penalties after they got this early advantage with the Dawes kick being saved, I, I don't even know what to say at that point. But uh, they, they, they just they need somehow to have like a seance or an exorcism or something like that because right now I don't think a lot of it has to do with playing and what's on the field. Well, Alex, you wrote about Chile. I mean... Other than the penalty miss, props to Vidal. He was everywhere last night, yeah. and the and the way he was able to sort of keep keep one eye on Messi while still sort of helping Chile pressure and circulate the ball and, and bring some teammates in. Um, but when Messi got the ball, Vidal was there, and and if he needed a teammate to slow Messi up for a little bit before he arrived, it took two or three seconds for him to get there. I mean, he was he was absolutely all over the place. He was on Messi. Uh, you know, like a glove, and that was a huge. And I don't know that anyone else in this tournament was able to come close to doing that. So that's a big reason why they won, in addition to the Argentine psychosis. No, he w- it was like a Pavlovian response with him. Like every single time, you could just see him check back, and and he was right there. And Messi, you know, he had he had a couple of good opportunities. He also had a bunch of opportunities where it was just one on four, and yep. and and you don't know if it was. His teammates just being like, all right, he'll do something. Or if they just were gassed or if it was Messi just saying, you know what, I'm going to do this on the my own. The first guy wouldn't knock him off the ball, but then the second guy would slow him down just enough. I mean, yeah, there, and there were, were a times, lot of runs and, like that. And there were times he got through it and, and still almost set up a, a good chance. But it's you can't you can't win like that. And, you know, we spent all this time talking about how the U.S. was going to slow down Messi and game plan for Messi. That's how you do it. You just need the players who can pull it off. And, uh, and Chile, to their credit, definitely has the players. Uh, and let's... Let's turn our attention to the champions now, the back-to-back champions, whether this counts as an official Copa America or not, depending on, on who you listen it to does. at Conmebol. Uh, they were spectacular in the knockout stage and did not concede a goal. Uh, beat Mexico 7-0. Beat Colombia, blitzed them out of the gate and, and finished off that game. Um, Claudio Bravo, that save on, on Aguero's header, was spectacular. And then he comes up big in the shootout again. I mean, Alex... Our producers who's sitting here with us, you wrote about this. This, and I would agree with you, confirms their place even more uh, among the world's elite. Grant, would you agree with that? I think so. I mean, if you win two straight Copa Americas in two years, uh, that has to do it. This is uh, a really tremendous generation of Chilean players, but they also play really well together. Uh, And I go back to when they were being coached by Marcelo Bielsa at the 2010 World Cup. Uh, This was a very collective pressing effort from that team in 2010. And that's carried over through the coaches they've had since then. Sampali was a tremendous coach uh, taking them to the championship last year. There were a lot of questions about PT coming into this team. And, um, and you know, 
even more questions after they lost the first game of this tournament. Like, this isn't the team that Sam Pauli had. They don't play as hard for him. Uh, they certainly turned that around. And, and Claudio Bravo turned himself around in this tournament. I honestly thought he should have been benched after probably the first two or three games of this tournament when he was brutal. You know, he was giving up near post goals. He was uh, making howlers like the one against Panama. Uh, he was a shadow of the goalkeeper that we've seen at Barcelona. And whatever happened, I would actually love to know. That would be an interesting story to me. How did Bravo get it together? Was there something specific that happened behind the scenes? Was he in danger of losing his, his starting job during this tournament? Uh, whatever it was, uh, he was fantastic for the remainder of the tournament. And just uh, a tremendous save on the looping header by Aguero in extra time, uh, which looks even better the more you see it. Um, and then uh, the save on Lucas Biglia. And I was sitting next to, to Brian, and just the way Biglia approached you called the it. ball, you I said to Brian, there. I didn't say this on any other penalty, he's not going to convert this. And he didn't. The look on his face was was fear. Also on TV, I don't know if you could see that from. Yeah, from, no, that's yeah. the way. That's what I was seeing. Yeah. And uh, and you know maybe Bravo deserves some credit for that too. I mean, like he's a presence in the goal, you know. And I always wonder how much influence that has. I mean, like with Messi's penalty, you know, he skies it over the bar. Maybe there's some influence there. Right, he plays against Messi every day in training. Maybe right. he, you know, he knows his tendencies and knows what he wants to do. Maybe that plays into it. Um, no, it's, it's, it's crazy, and I can't believe like that's such a bad penalty miss. It wasn't even close. It was it was Baji all over again. It was terrible. Um, but hey, congratulations to Chile, uh, for for running the gauntlet and and coming out on the other side. Um, absolutely spectacular performance from them. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the real man of the match last night, though, and that is. Eber Lopez. Enrico Palazzo. Uh, just a spectacular catastrophe of officiating. Um, my Lord, uh, that guy loves the spotlight, doesn't he? I mean, the, the, just his, his dem demonstrations and getting in Gary Medell's face. Uh, the red card to Marcelo Diaz 28 minutes in was, was asinine in my opinion. And then the inevitable makeup call. To Marcos Rojo, um, you know what? Some fifteen minutes later, thankfully the second half and an extra time, you know, it, it wasn't so much about the referee; it was it was more about the play on the field. But my God, he was making a play to steal the show. He was. Um, I'm trying to figure out what I was most bothered by. It might have been the the whole pantomime show in front of Medell as much as anything, because that just showed you, like, what are you doing, man? Like, do you did you really come here thinking we wanted to see you do this to the players? Um, I'm sure he thinks that it's some sort of way of showing that he's in charge, but it, it's just not what we wanted to see. Now, I will say this. I thought Diaz's first yellow card was close to a red card. I thought it was horrible, you know, orange card type material. And so where we were sitting up in the press box is very high above the field. And in live action, what I saw in the second yellow, I was okay with it. I, I, I And maybe that's because I was also thinking he deserved more for the first offense. On replay, the more I saw it, okay. You know, it, it seemed like there wasn't much of a place for Diaz to go. And we did see Messi in this game more than usual sort of trying to draw cards on opponents and even asking for cards with that symbol of pulling your your 
or putting your hand up. Um, yeah, uh, not good, not good. And, and, I, and I was disappointed, I guess, because I thought once, as bad as the call was on Rojo, at least it made it even. And I thought the game would be open, and it really wasn't. No, it was just more more of the same. Uh, my my favorite Lopez moment was uh, what he gave ended up in a slide tackle of sorts with Messi and then he tried to brace himself on Messi to pull himself up and he Messi wasn't, wasn't fit. No. <laughs> uh, he, like, this referee, I was, we were using the word staggering. He's staggering around the field late in the game and he was just kind of lumbering and heaving and, and you're like, this guy is not he's, fit. He had, a, he had a sheen and a vacant stare. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it was great. No, like that, you know, when I was writing my Messi column in my head before uh, he... Uh, blew our worlds apart i i had that image of of the referee you know messi is so important you know that the referee needs to use him as a walker <laughs> to pull himself up you know as he as he flails about um yeah no it was uh and then of course after the game a bunch of us were joking in the press box you know like hey you remember when the referee was the story three hours ago like oh my god it wasn't that wasn't that a quaint time um, it seems like another lifetime. It was it was a, a final with a lot of different chapters, and, and the final one is Messi, and maybe his final chapter with Argentina. Um, not really, but <laughs> but maybe not. You, you're not buying it. Not buying it at all. Not buying it at all. He's uh, a sulker. He, he he sulks. He sulks when he gets you know Barcelona's beating Granada six nothing, and they bring Messi Messi out in the 75th minute. And he pouts on the bench. He wants to play. It was. Uh, Something else. Um, let's put a wrap on this Copa America in general. Um, it's over now. Um, it it entertained. It did not start out that great between quality of play, the anthem mishaps, uh, ticket prices were, were a huge sticking point, although that did not dissuade people from showing up to these games. The attendance was off the charts. Um, Brian, when you look back on this Copa America, what, uh, what are, are you going to be parting your, your parting thoughts, your parting takeaways. Uh, certainly the the hysteria and and swing and emotion uh, that follows everything the U.S. does. Um, there is no there is no measured take. You know there is there is no uh, long term perspective, um, and that was evident more than ever. I think for me over the past few weeks, um, and I think also uh, I guess again my my biggest sort of overall question about this competition going in was, you know, we knew what it meant to Jurgen and the team. We knew that this was, especially having failed to qualify for the Confederations Cup, that this was going to be something that they were going to use to measure themselves. This was going to be something that gave us a sense of where this team was through Jurgen's second cycle. Um, this was a chance to play against some very good teams with a lot of pedigree and tradition, something that he values a lot, something that U.S. fans value a lot, something we all wanted to see. So we all knew what it meant to the U.S. I was really curious how much it meant to other teams. I was really curious. This is a this is an official tournament. I mean, Conmebol has said that the winner of this tournament will have their name engraved on the official Copa America trophy and will be considered a Copa America champion. But you know, that's that's a, a technicality. How much would this really mean to the teams from South America? And we saw what it meant. You know, we saw two coaches get fired, including Dunga, a, a few weeks before the Olympics. And then we saw the emotion last night from both sides um, and to, to the point where, you know, it led to everything we're talking about now. So, um, you know, that answered that question. This really mattered to them. And, and so we saw most teams uh, put their best foot forward. Not only not only the, 
the coaching firings, but look at Suarez on the bench of a of a His game that he couldn't yeah. even play in. Yeah. Like he Yeah, good shout. He he wanted in. Um side note, Barcelona is a pretty big winner out of this tournament. Neymar didn't play, Suarez didn't play, and Messi's not gonna apparently have international duty anymore. Uh so big ups to Barcelona. Yeah. Looking good for that Spanish Super Cup in in tomorrow, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, Grant, uh, what, what about you as as we put a wrap on, on this competition? Well, I mean, if you were wondering if this Copa America could compete with the Euro that was going on, I generally found the games in the Copa America more interesting. You know, I, I enjoy everything when it comes to soccer and major tournaments, so I'm enjoying the Euro quite a bit. But I, I, I do find the Euro to be a little sterile sometimes in a, in a, in a very sort of European way. Not all the time, because there have been some, some wild games in the Euro too. And the, and the quality is high. But uh, I like the unpredictability of South American-style soccer. Uh, I like the Copa Libertadores. I, I think we had a lot of that vibe as part of this tournament. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, would, would it have been nice to have full stadiums for every game? Yeah, sure. Uh, but, you know, the, in the future, I think, would, would do dynamic pricing for the games that didn't have as much of a demand, and you would have seen that. Um, and I do look at the, the records that were set attendance-wise for, uh, for Copa America ticket sales. I know that everyone who put money into this tournament, whether it's television or sponsors, comes away pretty happy uh, from everything I hear. Um, you know, you look at the U.S., Brian mentioned that um, they are what we thought they were. It was better than the Gold Cup performance, which was brutal last year. Uh, but getting to the it's sem- a low bar. Yeah, I mean, getting to the semifinals <laughs> of the Copa America, is that's an accomplishment. Um, and is it easier on home soil? Yeah, a little bit, but still, Gold Cup was on home soil last year, and that didn't work out. Uh, I think the U.S. comes away with some very specific things to move forward with. Uh, central defense pairing and Jeff Cameron and John Brooks, I think is maybe the story of the tournament for the U.S. because those guys should be the starters as long as they're healthy moving forward. You know, there, there shouldn't be any debate about that. Um, I think at this point, now that the Copa America is over, you have some older guys that probably shouldn't be involved with the national team moving forward. Thank them, send them on their way. Wando, Beckerman, guys like that. Um, and, and I think you really do need to find a way to integrate Darlington Nagby and Christian Pulisic into the attack in a meaningful way moving forward. I, I come away thinking Jurgen Klinsmann has a way to, to get performances out of his team when their backs are against the wall. We've seen that now on several occasions. Uh, but Klinsmann also has a way of saying in these press conferences, I want them to go for it, go for it, have courage. And then his lineup selections and hesitation to make substitutions in in a game don't reflect at all a go-for-it mentality. So, um, look, the U.S. is going to advance to the hexagonal, um, and, you know, we'll see how they do. I think they'll qualify for the World Cup. I think Klinsman will be the coach. And um, there's things that obviously need to be worked on. The U.S. was not anywhere close to what Argentina was in this tournament. But I still think, based on the players the U.S. has today, they should be able to compete with a team like Argentina. And so that's kind of the big downside is they had a real opportunity in front of a big television audience, a lot of whom hadn't even seen the rest of the tournament, to make a statement against Argentina. And unfortunately, the statement that was made was the U.S. isn't close. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jurgen talks a lot about, you know, 
metaphorically stepping on toes and being more physical and nasty and, and I whatnot. He, I and don't think it was that. metaphorical. Metaphorical, literal, either way, you, you saw a ton of that uh, last night in the final between Argentina and Chile. That was a, a stepping on toes uh, masterclass, if you will. No, you need to be aggressive. You need to do that. That's not what Jurgen Klinsmann was hired to bring to sure. the United States. But, yeah, okay. <laughs> well... Guys, uh, I have enjoyed this Copa America. I've enjoyed your coverage of this Copa America. Uh, really, good job well done. Uh, if I might say so myself. Alex, you as well. Um, I'm going to put a wrap on this podcast and this tournament, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, there will be much more fallout from it, so definitely uh, keep an eye on Planet Football for that. Uh, for Grant Wall, Brian Strauss, and our producer, Alex Abnos, I am Avi Creditor. We'll talk to you next time on the Planet Football Podcast. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.